Have you ever felt frustrated because you just couldn't find a lovely book to read? I can start to crave not just a good book, but a book that draws me in and evokes such a deep emotion that I can say, wow, that was a lovely book. Welcome friends, this is Emmy B on Lovely Books Podcast, where it's my job to highlight the lovely books that keep you reading and connect you to the world. If you're new to Lovely Books, this podcast is more than just a best books podcast. It's about the reader's experience and takeaway. No book reviews, no analysis of literary content, just thoughts and personal anecdotes brought to our minds by the characters and subject matter that we love. That's what brings the book to life for you. I hope we give you something to think about, something to laugh about, and something lovely to read. Okay, so I'm excited about this week because we are going to highlight books that inspire and motivate. And who better to do that with than my husband? Before we start, we're going to give two fun facts about Paul and I. Fact number one, we met at Barnes & Noble. True. That is truth. Fact number two, I launched this podcast on our anniversary. That's really sweet of me. But the two books that we're talking about today are number one, The Gift of Imperfection by Brene Brown, and number two, The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. So even though Paul hasn't read them, they cover a topic that we have discussed in our relationship of time and marriage. So one of the factors that makes a book lovely is life context. You read a different book at different times in your life, and it's not going to affect you the same way. So I read both of these books when they were both fairly new in 2015. Paul, what do you remember about 2015? 2015. Wow. Whirlwind. A haze. Do you feel like it's fair to say that 2015 was unremarkable? Yes, I would agree with that. Okay. So in unremarkable 2015, I read these two books and they were fabulous. 2015 was unremarkable. But 2015, something significant happened for me because it's the first time in my life where I felt like I really had permission, which is a weird word to use, but permission to be happy. Interesting. So we, between the two of us, have talked about shame before, and I've got a major misconception Mm -hmm. about shame. And Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection, she talks extensively about shame and what shame is and, and how shame prevents us from being happy. I have always thought of shame as I'm embarrassed. Like, I'm ashamed. You should be ashamed of yourself. Mm -hmm. That's embarrassing. You did something wrong. Not as like a deep underlying thing. And I would never say that I had problems with shame. Paul, do I have problems with shame? Um, Only you can answer that. (laughs) That means yes. Shame is when you feel broken, damaged, So dirty, dirty, broken, or defective. So starting with the gifts of imperfection. um, So I don't think of myself as a cell, as a perfectionist, but I I have had problems with Mm self-acceptance. And one thing that Brene Brown teaches is that perfect is not a real thing. There's no such thing as being perfect, but imperfection is is our way of sort of combating shame with self-acceptance. I might not be perfect. I might not be doing everything right, 
but I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. I'm good enough. And so I read that book and that was a big moment. That was kind of a big aha moment for me. Um, where I went, you know what? I'm not, not only am I not the only imperfect person, but imperfection is actually the most unifying trait in the world mm -hmm. because everybody's imperfect. That's right. And I think it's important to accept our own imperfections yeah. in a loving uh, way instead of accepting them in a shameful way. Right. And self-loathing way. I accept that I'm imperfect because right. I'm the worst. Right. And I think once we accept our imperfections or, um, you know, once we accept and embrace the fact that we aren't perfect, then it gives us the opportunity or permission, to use your word, to improve and to then go on a quest to grow. And as we're growing, we feel satisfaction in life. And when we're not growing, of course, we feel dissatisfied. And, you know, as the saying goes, um, if you're not growing, you're dying, right? Right. So I think that's terribly important, terribly important. You're able to then, um, instead of focusing on inadequacies and shortcomings and shame, you're focused on what can I learn now what can I do now to become better how can I be the best for so that's perfect because Brene Brown and Gretchen Rubin both assert that happiness is actually what we experience when we're growing as you said Paul and moving in a direction that we like that we want and that we choose so Brene Brown also asserts that that's directly related with hope and I really like what she says about hope. She says that hope is when we know what we want, when we have some variety of goal, um, when we see that there's a possible path to get there. And then when we know we have the agency to get ourselves there, like I, I have the choice. And I think the, the third step is for me, always been where Shane comes in. It's like, I know what I want and I know how to get there but I don't have the choice to take that path because I am dirty, broken, damaged. Defective. Defective. Yeah. yeah. And it's not necessarily that we try to find happiness because we wake up one morning and say, I am unhappy. We just right. kind of get used to the normal of being unhappy until someone brings to our attention that maybe we're not happy. Well, admitting that you're unhappy is a is related to shame again because, right yeah that means there's something wrong with me yeah that's right am i defective i mean am i not yeah. looking at things right do i not have a good attitude am right. i ungrateful what's wrong right. with me yeah there's why am i not happy why are they happy okay so i had so at first i read the gifts of imperfection and i explored this whole shame thing and thought oh my gosh this might be something that i need to address and i want to be happy and i want to have hope and i want to do all this stuff and I had no idea how to do it. I felt kind of from, from the gifts of imperfection that I could be happy. And so I was like, okay, I can be happy. Yay. What do I do? Right? What do you do to be happy? So enter the happiness project. Now, what Gretchen Rubin did is she studied happiness and she studied what the different aspects of people's lives that they could change to create happiness. 
And the criticism that I've read on this book, the reviews, a lot of them have annoyed me because they, after reading her book, and I don't believe these people actually read the book, they seem to have in mind that she is saying that the only way you can be happy is if you have money because you can't afford to do any of the things that she says you're supposed to do to be happy. And I disagree with that because, um, you know, all of our lives are so multifaceted. We have so many different areas in our life that affect our happiness, our work life, our home life, our personal life, our hobbies, our family, our extended family, our, you know, personal growth, all of these things. And what I loved about her book was that she sort of set out after um, doing all this research on what, what areas of people's life needed to be adjusted in order to allow for the most happiness. She came up with this really great plan. She was going to pick one thing a month for 12 months, one area of her life where she could improve her enjoyment, improve her happiness, improve her joy. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I had an incredible experience with it. It really worked. And I don't know if it was just the focus on being happy. I don't think that's something we focus on. I get up in the morning and I'm like, okay, kids have to go to school. Lunches have to be made. You know, lately it's been, okay, get up in the morning. I've got to get four kids in front of a computer. We got to check the emails, see what teacher emailed, video, Zoom call, then dinner, lunch, breakfast, cook, clean, laundry, you know, and I don't ever take the time. So I don't know if this was just, um, just the very act of focusing on something that made me happy, but her little program just was it just heaven sent. It was just so right on. It was, mm. it was great to have someone map out for you what can be done. What, what are even the possibilities of what can be done? So the exercise that Paul and I are going to do, and he has no idea that we were going to do this. Aye, aye, aye. We are going to go through and we're going to give examples from, we're just going to kind of test it. Paul's going to kind of be my test case. We're going to go through the 12 different areas of life and we're going to decide whether or not change in these areas will actually improve our happiness. Okay. Okay, you ready? Yep. So number one, this was the first month, um, and she did this January to December, but you can really do it at any time. So the first one was um, boost your energy. So what is one thing that you can do that you could put on a checklist, and we both love checklists and lists and to-dos and boxes to check off, but what's one thing that you could do weekly, daily, for a month that would boost your energy? For me, it would be um, exercise. By far, that would be what uh, would boost my energy the most. I love exercise. Yep. Do you exercise right now? Uh, not enough. Okay, <laughs> so never enough. With today's circumstances, with, mm -hmm. you know, in the life that we live right now, with mm -hmm. our kids right now, I could probably do realistically um, 15 to 20 minutes if it were morning. Mm -hmm. And I could probably do, like, I'm, play, I'm playing indoor soccer uh, weekly. Okay. Um, and I could probably do an hour to two hours on Saturday. Okay. If you did that mm -hmm. consistently and well mm -hmm. for a month, would you be happier? Would you feel better? Would it add something to your life? I would have more energy, yes. Absolutely. Okay. 
Okay, so even don't you think that even just the energy of talking about that is a possibility? Like, oh yeah, makes you feel good. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, we're gonna move on to number two. That's a good one. Is this one gonna make me feel good too? This one's gonna make you feel great because it's about marriage. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I don't know if you're gonna <laughs> remember this, but her thing that she does, and I so loved this, is she had a day of extreme kindness. So, for Gretchen Rubin, her thing was just not getting irritated. You know, not having that moment where, what did you do today? Well, what did you do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but she would practice a day of extreme kindness where no matter what happened, no matter what circumstances arose or how irritated or tired or low blood sugar she was, she just practiced extreme kindness. I tried that. It was money. It was so good because mm -hmm. it, it changed my attitude when I wanted to be frustrated and I could say to myself and fix myself talk to say, nope, kindness, kindness. Because one thing that she really pointed out is that it doesn't actually hurt you to be kind. So instead of being frustrated, sometimes we can just be kind and that's fine. But you get to pick your own thing. So if we were to do one thing for a month that would help your marriage, mm -hmm. what would it be? Say date night. <laughs> Yeah, COVID date nights have been a little bit compromised for us, haven't they? Yeah, but you really like date night. Yes, I do. I do. Uh, I have insisted, listeners, on uh, a Friday night date night for us. Religiously, we have to do that. We are committed to that, and I feel strongly about that. So Sometimes when he says, notice how he said, we are committed to that, I feel strongly about that. Maybe I'm the one who needs to commit to date night. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I'm going to be agreeable right there. Okay, good. <laughs> Practice extreme kindness. Do you, th do you think that if we spent a month focusing on the idea of maybe courting each other, mm -hmm. that it would improve our enjoyment with each other? Uh, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Totally yeah. would. Okay, the next one is aim higher. So for this one, it was just, you know, um, someplace where you've compromised a little bit in your life, where you're maybe compromising, where you're not giving your all. Um, what's something you could do for months, something you could really focus in on for a month where you could aim higher. The thing that I would do for aim higher in my current circumstances is be on time. And it's, you know, being on time isn't that big of a deal other than it makes you feel like you can do it. There really is a sense of, when you show up late to something, there really is a sense of, oh my gosh, are you serious? I can't even get myself out the door on time. You know, so, but it's the same thing with you. It's just that boost of I can do it. I stuck with it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so number four is lighten up. Or no, sorry, number four is parenthood. And the thing that Gretchen wanted to focus in on lightening up in this parenthood. This is still one of your books, right? Yeah. Yes, it's which one is the same it? Book. Um, the Happiness Project. Okay, The Happiness Project. So what could you do for a month to help you as a parent? For me, it's um, it's really looking at the kids with love. They're not they're not um, appurtenances to the house or my life. They're not um, annoying objects walking around. But to stop and really look at them and say, "Wow, I love this person. This 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 is one of my children." That has really helped me. And I think it really came on three years ago. Uh, when our last child, uh, Samuel, was born. I mean, he has just been such a... And I think maybe it's 
the fact that uh, he's our last kid, mm-hmm. it's caused me to say, whoa, yeah. this is the last time uh, we're going to have a baby, baby number five. Uh, having a bottle. This is our last baby in a diaper. This is our last baby who is learning to talk. And so all these things, it's, it's like our first baby was doing it for the first time, and now our last baby is doing it mm-hmm. for the last time. So it's really changed my whole outlook, and to be honest, it's allowed me to have a little bit more joy and satisfaction. Leisure, serious about play. What could you do for a month to improve your enjoyment in the Department of Leisure? It's got to be something that you could do in your current circumstances. I can think of like a million leisure things. Like I could spend a month in Hawaii. (gasps) That's clearly not going to happen. I could, though, spend a month hiking once a week. I could make that happen. I love the mountains. I love spending time in the mountains. It's really hard to break away with kids to go do that, but I could do it for a month and really enjoy it. Okay. Number six, friendship, reach out, show up and don't gossip. I think reaching out always makes me feel, makes me feel connected. It makes me feel when I reach out to other people, it, it makes me feel as good as it makes them feel. So For me, friendship, if I spent a month really focusing on reaching out and just checking in, text message, hey, thinking about you today, how's it going, bouquet of flowers from Trader Joe's, just reaching out to friends, I just think that would make me feel great. Okay, so this one I love, and this is the one where um, Gretchen kind of got a bad rap because her indulge money thing just kind of threw people for a loop. You know, indulging is an interesting word because... It's it, the meaning of the word um, almost takes you to a point of guilt, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if you're indulging in money, mm-hmm. um, then you're to the point, almost to the line where you feel immoral. Okay, and that's that's an interesting dichotomy, and it's an interesting uh, struggle that many people have. So I can see why she's trying to say, "Hey, look, don't worry about it." Yes. Don't worry she about does, that. however, say, and this is why I question as to whether or not people really read the book who have a problem with this, is that she says a lot of times when we indulge, we have to give something up to be able to indulge. I think that maybe changes the feeling of guilt for the indulgence if you know you're giving something up so that you can indulge in something you really enjoy. I'll, I'll take the, the listeners back to uh, my sister, Analia. When she was living abroad in Spain and I went to visit her, I remember I was in a city called uh, Toledo, and I remember I went into this shop, and she and I were walking through these shops, and, and I saw this um, this horse, this night horse, and I really looked around, and I thought, you know, I'm just not going to do it, and she said, why? Just get the darn thing, because you will not remember the money, and you'll always remember this, and that stuck with me. I thought, you know what? She is right. I will not remember this money. I will always remember this thing that I got it there. And it's still, it's been sitting on my shelf for decades now. And now my kids look at it. It is the coolest oh, they thing love ever. It. It's the coolest thing ever. And I, and I don't miss the money that I spent <laughs> on it. Not even one bit. Absolutely. Okay. So the next thing is connect spiritually. And this means different things for different people. This. I think you should, I think you should connect spiritually, whatever that means for you. Uh, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, yeah, it's pretty personal, but you should do something spiritual. It feeds your spirit, feeds your soul, feeds your heart. That's all feel good stuff. Yeah. So connect to whatever spirituality speaks to you. Yep. Number nine, pursue a passion. 
Yep. And then she started a podcast. (laughs) If you aren't passionate about something, you're missing out on a big piece of life. You've got to be passionate about something. You love it. And pursue it. It feels good. Okay, number 10 is mindfulness. Um, I have a very active mind. I've learned in quarantine that I like to be active, and so it's really hard for me to not... um, to not always be thinking about what's next and to take the time to really focus on what is present and in front of me. The easiest time for me to do that is when I sit on the porch and watch my kids play outside. Mm -hmm. And that is so enjoyable. I don't do anything when I'm sitting out there, but watch them. It makes me feel like I'm a good mom because I'm present. Mm -hmm. Okay. The last one is a contented heart. Have a contented heart, laugh and your self-talk. So I'm going to hit on self-talk for a second Um, this is something I've always struggled with. My self-talk has always been as a mother difficult. I tend to tell myself things like run faster, do more, run faster, do more, run faster, do more. And I've tried to really switch that up. You know, we, Paul and I like to watch a lot of Ted talks and YouTube videos about motivation. And so I'll get one of those stuck in my head. And one I've had in my mind lately is win the morning, win the day. Win the morning, win the day. Win the morning, win the day. And that feels so much better than run faster, do more, run faster, do more. What about you? Contented heart, laugh, or self-talk? I definitely think that self-talk is one of the most crucial. That's one thing that I, that as a parent, I want my kids to develop is a a healthy sense of self-awareness and self-concept. Uh, one that is not broken and, and one that is not uh, when I drive the kids to school when we're not in COVID. I make the kids, when we turn past the, the last corner that goes towards the school, I make them repeat positive things. Mm-hmm. Affirmations. And it's amazing how difficult it is to say positive things if you're not in the right mood. And that's what's so magic about it. <laughs> well, our seven-year-old is just like, I am powerful. I learn easily. I can recall whatever I need whenever I need it. People like me. <laughs> She's so cute. It is so funny. <laughs> and it, th- those, you know, that may sound cheesy, but it's the stuff like, um, you know, I can be whoever I want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, it's the stuff where I don't need anyone else's permission to be happy. You know, it's it's I love and accept myself. I mean, it's things like that that nobody told me that that's even something that's possible when I was a kid. Heck no. Mm-hmm. And I used to think, man, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Say that you were an idiot, not me. Good times. Okay, so this kind of sums up Gretchen Rubin's book. I'm just saying her approach wasn't overwhelming and it wasn't inaccessible and that made it so nice. It was so nice to read The Gifts of Imperfection, to learn about shame to acknowledge that I had permission to be happy, to have hope that happiness was possible because I knew that if I set a goal, I saw a path to get there, um, that I did have the agency to make it happen. And when I followed the outline in um, the Happiness Project, it was just such a stellar experience and it really did improve my happiness. Um, and I think especially with the stress and everything going on at this time, I think these books are just something that can be really meaningful and helpful, um, leading towards positivity.
So thanks for being here, Paul. Thanks, Bab. Thanks, Bab. Dear listeners, she handed the mic, put it on my lapel, and said, We're podcasting. But I love it. Check out these books. Um, Thanks for listening in. And we hope you'll be back next week with us when we have a new guest to highlight another truly lovely book. Um, Please remember to comment, like, subscribe, share, and visit us on our Instagram and Facebook at Lovely Books Podcast. 